to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Everybody, we are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing wonderful. Anything new going on with you? Well, let's see. Last week I had my sighting done. It's amazing. I love it. It's so pretty. I'm supposed to get gutters this week, but I've not heard from the gutter man, so I don't know what's happening there. And then I've told you all my problems with my lawn crews before. It can be hard to get people over. Listen, this guy came twice, but he has fallen out of touch now, and he should have mowed my yard already this week. And I thought I should reach out and find out what he's doing. And then I thought, you know what? I'm trying to pay you to do a job. I'm not going to bug you to do the job. I'll just hire somebody else. But this is like the sixth or seventh person I've tried to hire in 13 months. Well, this was like us trying to finish our backyard. We finished our screen porch and our pool remodel, but we had not finished. Like we needed to put fencing back up, but we couldn't do that until we had the yard graded and it needed some drainage. So we didn't do it. And because we kept having people that were going to come over and start on Monday, they were going to start on Monday. They never came over any Monday. And so we kept having new people come over and we never could get it done. So when it was time to put our house on the market, because we'd already, you know, we were going to move, I had the agent come over and she was like, should we, you know, maybe in a month, put the house on the market. We got to get somebody to finish. She's like, nope, put it on right now. It's ready as is. And I'm like, but the yards, she's like, nope, just put it right now. Well, long story short, we never finished the backyard. The people who we're under contract as of today, it's very exciting. It's knock on wood. It's been since the beginning of March, but um, I don't need to knock on wood. This, These are the final people because since last week when we recorded, it's been crazy. And Sherry knows this. We hadn't gotten a single offer. Now, House buying season in Augusta is after Masters. We know that. That doesn't mean no houses sell before Masters, but that's when people really start you know, buying houses. So I was not stressed out. I figured it would happen after Masters. Well, right after Masters, a little bit later, we got our first offer, but it wasn't one that made me really excited because they were, it was low ball and they wanted all of our furniture. I mean, it was not going to work out for the timing was bad, but they were, we were dealing with them. Then while we were recording last week, I got a showing request for right after the recording. And I'm like, okay, so we had it. And this lady and her realtor came and her fiance lived in another country and they were going to buy it. And they were going to, they loved the house. So they put in all cash, <laughs> quick close, such a, so we we're like, great, we'll sell it to you. Well, they had a five-day due diligence period, which I, y'all don't have in Alabama. It's a Georgia thing. Yeah, that means in that period of time, you can walk away for any reason. 
no harm, no foul, no earnest money forfeited. When you told me that, I thought that meant after the sale. That's after the contract. Yes. So on day four of the due diligence period, you know, we're rolling along. We're talking to the closing attorney. We have the date set. Everything's ready. On day four of the due diligence period, they're like, no, we're out. He's not moving to Augusta after all. Like he's not even moving to Augusta. So I'm like, okay, I knew there was something weird about it. It just felt a little off, but okay. This was yesterday morning. So I wasn't upset. It was okay. I was like, well, let's go back to those other people. We could talk to them. And so we went back to the other people and they were still interested. So we were like, all right, we're going to need to have a better offer. We don't, they wanted a 14 day due diligence period, which is two weeks that they could just cancel at any time. And I'm like, we'll do seven, not 14, seven. Well, then they came back with their next offer and it was still 14. Well, at the same exact time, we got another offer from somebody different. And so we're talking to them. We're like, all right, we'll deal with them. Well, they disappeared overnight. They're like, because we wanted, you know, them to pay a little more. And they're like, no. So they were gone. So this morning we woke up with nothing. And a third, another offer came in. I guess it's technically number four. But here's the funny story. It's the people who came in the first day when my realtor came over she knew these people were looking for a house. They came over and they decided not to buy it because they hated our tiny pool. Remember me saying that? And that was a lot of people didn't like the tiny pool. Well, they are going to rip out our tiny pool. I want to come load it on a trailer and bring it to my house. They might not like demo it. It's a fiberglass pool. They might be able to salvage it. I hope that they can. But here's the the moral of the story is it's all working out beautifully because we never finished. We didn't spend thousands of dollars finishing the backyard. And that they would be, if we had put up new fencing and graded the yard and finished that back landscaping and put in the drainage, it would be destroyed. So we would have wasted thousands of dollars. So it all works out. And I'm actually really glad that those people that fell through on day four, I am grateful that they fell through on day four because otherwise we would have come to terms with the other people that were being so difficult. And the best part about it is, they're going to turn the library into their walk-in closet. I mean, they're going to like really do a lot of work to this house. But their best friends live next door. Their kids are friends. So that's what got them back here. I don't know that they were like really excited about doing all the work. That might be what it, what it was. But their friends gutted the house next door. And so I, they're like, all right, we can do it too. So they're going to be living here where they have small children. The next door neighbors have small children. I think they're doctors together at the hospital. I'm not sure, but they're going to be here next door and their kids will get to grow up together. And it just, it all had a happy ending and all the stress and it's been hard, but I, these people are not going to fall through or walk away. And maybe they'll use the little baby pool this summer and decide that it's adequate. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe they won't even move in until they've remodeled. That's what I predict. I predict they will not even come to hit the house till they're till they're remodeled. But because that's what the neighbor did. They they remodeled the whole thing and then they moved in. But here's the thing. The, the moral of the story is, and you know, I stayed positive the whole time. I knew it would work out. But everything that, that happened that felt like it was going wrong got us to the right destination in the end. The right people who were there two hours after I called the realtor on the phone and said, we're thinking about selling our house. Two hours later, they were here. And they were like, no, this is not, not going to be for us. But if they had wanted it that day, you know, we didn't have a house to buy. We, you know, we're, we're closing on that house in two days from today. So, and, and it would have been too early. Chad was finishing out the semester. Everything has happened in the perfect timing, even though, you know, it took us this many days to sell the house and it is perfect timing and the perfect people. And well, it just goes to show you that the path to success is not always a 
smooth path, but there's, you know, some bumps in the road and you have to navigate a little. But you got there. We got there with the right people because I re- really was like, I want them to buy it. But I mean, they, you know, the price is a lot lower than our asking price had initially been, but we're ready to go now. That changes things. But, you know, I don't mind. I want them to put love. And the people we bought the house from lived here from 1984. They raised their kids here until we bought it in 2019. And so that's the kind of house this needs to be. You know, we want to leave it with a family that's going to love it. And it was built by a doctor or not? No, we bought it from an orthopedic surgeon. It was built by a builder. Like it was his house. It was his personal house, the builder's house. And since then, three doctors will have lived in the house. Well, if you're counting me, Dr. Stevens, is that what you're counting? Well, four, because Chad is Dr. Stevens too. But we're, of course, PhD and EdD, not medical. But yeah, the guy who yesterday we thought was going to buy it, he was coming in to be a neurosurgeon, but he wanted the, because the garage is extra big and he has race cars or something. Do you still have a car lift in it or something? You sold that? Yeah, we sold the car lift because the guy we bought it from was really into cars. We're not into cars, so (laughs) we just have it full of junk. But anyway, I feel like I can finally relax and sleep. So thank you for allowing me to tell my story. And the life lesson is it all works out. It does always work out. One way or another, it all works out. Well, now it's time for our weekly good news segment. Uh, Sue would like to give a shout out to a company called BioOptimizers, and uh, she orders her magnesium from them. And they sponsor intermittent fasting stories. I just wanted to pop that in there. Okay. I knew that they sponsored one of the other podcasts, but I wasn't sure which one. So she shared, I live in Canada and the exchange rate plus shipping adds a significant amount to an already fairly expensive purchase. I was shocked the first time my order came and I had to pay an additional $20 in customs fees to have the products delivered by FedEx. BioOptimizers has a concierge program, which means I just email one of their team members directly, and then he helps me get the best deal they are currently offering. I reached out to Eric, my concierge, fancy, right? And I let him know about the unexpected customs fee. He spoke with Wade Lightheart, one of the founders, who was born in Canada, and on my next order, they reimbursed my customs fee. All I had to do was send a screenshot of the receipt from FedEx, and they deducted the amount for my order. This made me feel like they really care about their customers, and now I recommend them to everyone. The product is also high quality, and the company is great. They really are great, and, you know, I don't have any other supplement companies that I allow to sponsor my podcast, but I want it to be, you know, companies that are good, that I trust. And I've actually met Wade Lightheart in person when I was in Arizona, and he came on the Intermittent Fasting podcast two or three times. And, you know, they started this company, he and his partner, because they wanted supplements that they wanted to take because it's hard to trust supplements. I don't trust supplements out there. But for anybody who wants to find their magnesium, they're not sponsoring this podcast. I'm just going to go ahead and say, but if you go to magbreakthrough.com slash ifstories and the promo code is ifstories10, you save something. I can't remember. The deal might change. But just because they really are that kind of good company. Like I get every single day, Sherry, emails from people who like sell some supplement they want to sponsor my podcast. And I'm like, nope, I don't want to sell your bar, your shake mix, your whatever it is. No, no, no. I saw a new fasting coffee last night. Lord have mercy. It's called coffee. Oh, 
Do not fall for that. It has white kidney beans in it. That sounds like salad, like bean salad or something. I don't like know. I had to con it because I'm like, what? what is this? What is this magic? Ridiculous. It would be magic. It's not magic. Fasting beans. It's not fasting. I'm going to have some fasting beans. That's what I'm going to sell. No, I'm not going to sell that. <laughs> There is no product you need for fasting, everybody. Nothing. You don't need to buy anything. Anything they want to sell you, you don't need it. Anyway, fasting is free. So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. So spring has finally arrived, and it's that time of year where I'm spending time outdoors enjoying the sunshine. And I've had such tremendous improvement in my skin over the last year or so. You have. It's beautiful. Yeah, I've gotten rid of a lot of dark spots on my face. Some just sun damage from years and years of being a sun worshiper. But I just don't want to do any more damage to it or undo the, the good work that Beauty Counter has done on my skin. So I have gotten really super consistent with wearing sunscreen on my face when I'm outdoors. Because I like to drink coffee first thing in the morning and I like to go sit on my porch where it's sunny to do it, the first thing I do now is I get up, wash my face, and I apply my EWG Verified Dew Skin Tinted Moisturizer. It's got SPF in it and it gives me a little glow as I start my day and protects my skin from the sun. I pair that with the Big Shine Duo, which includes Think Big Mascara and Beyond Gloss, and that is my go to collection for my days off. I have a little, I put my eyes on protect my skin. It gives me a little glow. And uh, I'm a lip gloss girl, so I got to have my lip gloss. Dew skin, D-E-W-Dew, like the dew on the grass. In case they're like, what is that she's saying? Dew skin. No, dew. Kind of hard to describe. It's not foundation. It looks like foundation. It's tinted moisturizer, really. It really just blends into your skin. And it has really good quality sunscreen in it, which sometimes leaves a film on your skin that you can see, but you cannot with this at all. But this one doesn't. Mm -mm. It's a beauty. I use it when I go to the beach. This is my beach sunscreen on my face. When I go to the beach, I put this on my face. Yeah. I mean, the other day I wanted to put regular makeup on too. I can't remember what was going on. I had an appointment or something. And I, but I also knew I was going to go sit out in the sun. So I put it on and then I just put my foundation over the top of it and it great all day. So anyway, you can find out more by going to beautycounter.com slash Sherry Bullock, S-H-E-R-I-B-U-L-L-O-C-K. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are joined by Arlene Falk, author of the memoir, Walking on Pins and Needles. Arlene battled mysterious symptoms for nearly 20 years before being diagnosed with debilitating illness. During that time, she tried her best to conceal the symptoms and keep them a secret while trying to climb the corporate ladder. Today, she joins us to share her story of perseverance, rediscovery, and hope in light of her eventual diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. Welcome, Arlene. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, before we get into your background and your inspiring story, what is the lesson you hope to share with our listeners today? The lesson I hope to share is, I'm going to say two things that are related. 
One is that when there is fear, anxiety that you have, whether it is a condition with your body or it might be anxiety or issue you're dealing with uh, mentally and don't know what to do, it can freeze a person. So my lesson here is that we need to find a way to take a step forward, not just think I should do something, I've got to do something different, but find a way to take one step forward, regardless of how tiny it is, doing something rather than just thinking about it. You know, I love that you said that, that really like resonates with me. My husband went through a very long period, several year period of just a very deep depression and really severe social anxiety to where he struggled to leave the house. And I would tell him constantly, like, you have to do something. You have to move. You need to make progress. Like, even if it's little, you have to take that first step forward. And I think that's so true. So when you said that, I was just like, yes, yeah. And also just, you know, the whole idea of take imperfect action rather than no action. You know, so t- so many times we're paralyzed by the idea that we have to, we can only do something when it's perfect. You'll only get somewhere by taking imperfect action rather than waiting for the right time. So I think that's huge. Do something rather than think about it. Very, very important. So let's go into a little bit of your background and history and um, where that led you to where you are today. I will start from where my actually my story starts in the book that I have written, My Walking on Pins and Needles. I had graduated from a college and had aspirations for a career in business. I'd had leadership positions in college and been able to change some systems at the university, policies and systems from the inside. Uh, example was a judiciary committee I was on that had rules for uh, students and particularly women students. And we were able not only to change them, but to end up abolishing the the whole judiciary. So that gave me confidence. That's just one example. thought, I have some leadership skills. I like this. I can help other people by being in a leadership position. So I was on my way in a training program in a large department store in Minneapolis. And in one afternoon, I lost the feeling from my waist down at 22 years old. That was very scary. Took a while to get over it, but I did. I was young, 22, and I thought, okay, that's not going to stop me. Didn't know what it was, inconclusive, but I went on. So I didn't have any symptoms for a few years and then started having some minor symptoms. So patch in my side was uh, numb. And I think, hmm, I wonder what that is. I was in graduate school and just thought, well, I don't know if it is anything or not. Can I pop in and ask a question real quick? When you said that you lost the feeling from the waist down, was that just momentarily passing? It took me about three and a half months to regain my feeling. So in the midst of that, and thank you for asking, in the midst of that, I had to make a big decision about my career in that particular job, and I wasn't able to continue with that particular job. So it was debilitating for a while because I wasn't able to walk very well. Moving forward, I continued in my career, and symptoms continued not just intermittent, but more and more severe, having balance problems, trouble walking, losing feeling, having pain in my side. And I went to have CAT scans, spinal taps. MRI was not a common test when I was going through this in the early 80s and got a lot of inconclusive. And after about uh, 10 years, I was in New York City in a fast-paced job at the time. And the neurologist said to me, we think, our team thinks it is multiple sclerosis, but we don't have 
conclusive evidence to show that. So I continued on. I used a cane, uh, a struggle, struggled through to keep my balance and keep working. And I kept everything inside. I was concerned that this would affect my career. So I said very little about it at work and, and kept moving and was promoted to a big job in uh, Chicago, came to Chicago and continued for a while until one day I had fatigue hit me in my office one morning and this took about two hours but it was very severe and my head was spinning I was out of focus found my way home it was 26 miles from where I lived I found my way home and I laid on my couch for two years I wasn't able to do anything and all my great skills of analytical skills decision making it didn't make a difference I just uh, was not able to figure out what to do so after that it was a zigzag story in how I jumped into the unknown, not knowing what I was really doing through a recommendation of a friend and got involved in seeing a acupuncturist in Chinese medicine. Acupuncture was too strong. So we did work with the acupressure points. She recommended Tai Chi and I started Tai Chi and it really changed my life. I regained my balance. I got off all medications. And after a while, I started teaching Tai Chi. Felt like I found my calling in teaching Tai Chi. That's just so amazing to me. Do you think it is a complete mind-body connection? The fact that you were able to really tune into your body more made your body work better? It certainly is a big factor. There's no question. I'll say something, and maybe a lot of your listeners can relate to this. I thought I was paying attention to my body. Even though I was moving quickly in my work and had a very fulfilling life. I went to the gym to work out. I played squash and played racquetball. I went bicycle riding. So a lot of activity where I was using my body. But after, I, when I really started listening to my body, when my body stopped me and said no, then I learned in from that time forward that I was using my head to say, okay, well, okay, I've got to take care of my body. It wasn't my body talking to me. So that, you know, we hear that mind-body connection term a lot, but letting the body, it was through the work with the gifted healer that I had when she said, well, we're going to work together. And I thought, well, work together. What does that mean? I'm going to be on a table? Aren't she going to treat me? I thought, it's not like I was expecting a pill, but I didn't quite understand. And then she said, you, she would say, you'd have to listen to your body. And then it was creating stillness. I had to find a way to create stillness within in my own head and listen to my body to stop, stop those thoughts. That's where when you talk about was it the connection, it really started to connect. So explain to our listeners, what exactly is Tai Chi? Tai Chi. It was developed in China centuries ago, and it was developed as a martial art. The principles and fundamentals of Tai Chi is based on the universal principles of harmony and balance in nature. In fact, many of the names of moves in Tai Chi are animals or a flowing river or mountains and trees are used. So a lot of reference to, to nature. The goal, really, if it is a, a goal, is to work towards balance in all things, starting with our, our own body. And even though it was started as a martial art, and we think about maybe some aggressiveness or some fighting, there's it's an internal energy discipline, like, like yoga is. But it is through movement. We create stillness through movement. And with the moves, the preset sequence of moves that do 
replicate the harmony in nature, we find that balance in ourselves and create that stillness. And it brings us to the present moment, as well as learning to move our energy. And people, when we start, that's a big hurdle, even for me, in terms of moving energy. What does that mean? It means our mind, which is called the yi, moves the chi, which is our life force energy, and not our muscles. We learn to relax those muscles and really start moving some energy where you can feel the energy moving softly throughout your body. There are a lot of people who do practice Tai Chi call it a meditation in motion. Have you ever done Tai Chi, Sherry? I have not. I have. I have done Tai Chi. Back when, Sherry, remember when I was going to the Y briefly right after I retired and I was going to the Y and I was doing Pilates. I loved that. I was trying everything. I wanted to try everything there was to see what I liked. I didn't like yoga because apparently being upside down makes me dizzy. I I was the car sick kid. I just have a, you know, I, I don't, motion doesn't do well with me. I get sick at the movies when the popcorn is moving too fast on the screen. So so I couldn't do yoga. I could do Pilates, but I went to Tai Chi and I liked it. The time of the class was very early in the morning. <laughs> I have students come in who also into my class who also take Pilates. And they will often say, you know what? The Pilates instructor is saying the same thing that you are. There's some real similarities, as well as when you get into physical physical therapy. Those are the two disciplines, really, where people come and say, wow, I just saw the physical therapist, and she's saying the same thing. And same thing with Pilates. I enjoyed the Tai Chi. I just hooked in a little bit more because the Pilates class was like the time that I wanted to go, and I enjoyed that. And But I would like to t- try Tai Chi again. I think it would be beautiful on the beach. So you were talking about energy, and that I'm just going to jump to a question one of our listeners sent in. So we have a community of about... Uh, just over 10,000 people who participate, like we do sort of live feedback sort of uh, with the podcast. And like a lot of times we will go to the community and ask them if they have questions for our guests before our guests are interviewed. And so I told them that we are going to be talking with you. And so one person asked, and she's clearly way more schooled in Tai Chi than I am because I don't understand this, but maybe you, you will. She said, I'm always looking for more scientific evidence about brainwave function. Also, where does the energy stem from? Is it mine or is it universal or both? I don't feel qualified to answer that question, but I might refer her to, there's been a lot of good research in this area. And one of the ones that I feel is the best in plain English, it's the Harvard Medical School's Guide to Tai Chi. And in that, they, they talk about research and they've probably done some updated research. So I would think online, they do have a newsletter online, the Harvard Medical Review. And the person who is doing the research has been teaching Tai Chi for 35 years. So he knows of what he speaks. But I would go to academic institution like that who's doing the research to answer that question. I mean, we are energy beings. You know, we are made of energy. Even, you know, like this pen I'm holding in my hand, if you look down at the atomic level, is nothing but energy. So, you know, my husband is a chemist and he understands that. So we're, we're energetic beings. It just makes sense. We're, and we tap into the energy of the universe. So there is a connectedness. When we're doing Tai Chi, why is it that it is energetically different? We were talking about this last night in class that it was amazing feeling of energy. And I asked this and I said, do you feel it? Where the group in terms of focusing on the moves and the weight shifting, which is important in Tai Chi, knowing your weight is and doing shifting from 70% forward in one leg to 100% back, 
the energy just got more and more palpable. Well, I think it's energy among the people, but I also think it's what you just referenced in terms of we're, every, we're all energy, that it taps into a larger energy. That's my feeling. I'm trying to picture that in my head and like just listening to you describe it, I can almost feel it in the room. Like I like the energy feeds off of the energy. Well, energy plus, and maybe you've seen this, when you see people doing a group in a park, or it might even happen in a class, but let's say you're seeing a group doing Tai Chi, you can feel the energy. Just like what you're talking about, as I'm describing it, you can feel the energy. You can feel the energy as you're visualizing it. That's why my first year and a half, when I started Tai Chi, I did most of it in a chair because I wasn't physically able to do stand up and do the moves. I could visualize it, and I did some of the moves that were very helpful for balance and practice the Tai Chi, walking as best as I could. When I was able to get up and move, I knew most of the moves through visualization and repetition and tuning into the energy. So that brings me to another question somebody in the community had. I'm going to assume the answer, but I want to ask you for her. And she wants to know, or actually several people asked, how is it easy on the joints? So if like many of our members are looking for low impact activities to help them either avoid or heal injury, they don't want to further aggravate any conditions they have. Like one lady specifically said she has rheumatoid arthritis and her doctor told her never to do yoga. So she's wanting to know, like, is this different in a way that it would support her body as opposed to being harmful for her body? I'm so glad that question came up because I, too, am asked that question. It is excellent for people with arthritis, both rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis, as well as other chronic conditions that might have to do with joint or, let's say, chronic pain of various kinds. Plus, I, I'm thinking about spinal stenosis. There, there are other conditions that I have students, Parkinson's, where it's not specifically joints, but it's related and it can be painful. The reason that it is good is that very gentle on the joints, but it keeps them moving. So with yoga, and I know that there are teachers who modify the yoga because I, I do have people come in and say, do I have to get down on the floor? I can't put pressure on my hand. My joints and my wrists are very, very tender. So there is no pressure on the joints that way. So it, it's a very gentle way to stimulate the joints and is, is generally a very helpful. So the answer to the question is, yes, it's worth a try. Now, there are different kinds of classes. I don't know ones that are really rigorous. You don't want to get into a martial arts uh, class if you have joints problem. But if you get into one, and always, I always recommend talk to the teacher if you can or if it's online. Ask questions just to see what their style is because there should be no pressure on the joints. If people feel pain, they should stop. It's not a class for them. Tai Chi is not a discipline or an exercise practice where it's no pain, no gain. Right. I was That same phrase was going through my head. It's not that. Now, I don't know. I've only been to that one class with the one instructor, but to, what I remember is the movements were very slow. Like that was the, like it was real, like everything was like we were in slow motion. Is that the way it is in your class or is that what it's in all the classes? That is the way that it is in my class in terms of slowness. And there are people who have problems slowing down, you know, and saying, you know what, I, I was like, okay, that would be you. And that at one time was me. <laughs> you could tell, I mean, I, oh yeah, but they are slow in terms of very, very intentionally. When I'm talking about shifting your weight, there's three different weight positions and it is slow 
and very methodical. So that is true. And it takes some time for some people to adjust to that. And occasionally I have somebody said, you know, I just can't slow down. My answer is uh, that it's not the right time for you. That's okay. Don't force it. Well, and I think it takes practice because, I mean, even when I decided I wanted to do yoga, that was so hard for me. I'd be like doing a flow and I'm like, broccoli, eggs, bacon, cheese, you know, I'm making a grocery list in my head. And then I would be like, no, 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 no. Think about your breathing. What are you doing? What's your body doing? And it really took practice. I had to train my body to do it. But I also think that's why I love it because it makes my brain stop all that other nonsense. I'm so glad you said that because you are not alone. And when I start a new class, and I sometimes will remind my students, I tell them I only have two expectations for the class. One is to listen to your body and only do what you can do. And the second one is try as best as you can to keep your attention in the room. Both of those are challenging, and I still find it's probably particular to our culture to some degree that students want to do what the teacher's doing. And if I do 10 repetitions and the student can only do five, they should do that and then observe rather than try to say, uh, keep up. The other thing is what you mentioned, the eggs, bacon thing. I still remind when we do methodical Tai Chi walking, which is helpful for everybody's balance and it's slow. And I will say, okay, if your mind is starts to wander out of the room, just bring it back in the room and do say to yourself what I'm saying out loud, put your heel down, set your foot down, shift the weight to the center of your foot. It's really hard. What you're talking about, you are not alone in that mind wandering. So I know so many people who have conditions such as, you know, chronic back pain or even shoulder pain, knee pain. And a lot of those happen because the body is out of balance. They have, you know, muscle imbalances. They might have one leg shorter than the other or whatever that is like aggravating these conditions. So does Tai Chi help bring that to where you are strengthening, you know, both sides of the body to bring the body back into balance? Yes, it can bring the the body uh, back into balance. I think there are some conditions that it's best to see a healthcare professional, for example, and I've had people in class where one leg is longer than the other and there's problems with balance there. So I ask what the advice of their healthcare professional is in that. I don't want to do anything that would aggravate. And I had I had a man a couple of weeks ago in my class and he said, well, I've got this shoulder injury. And I, when you do a, a certain move and the arms go up overhead, you know, it's really hard for me to do that. I can only go up so far. And so I asked him, I knew he was, he told me he's been seeing a physical therapist. And I said, what does the physical therapist say? The physical therapist told him to, they do repetitions and to keep doing, try to do more and more and more. I said, that's, listen to that physical therapist, but that's not what you're going to hear me say in Tai Chi. If you go to the point of pain, then you need to see a professional, not necessarily do more Tai Chi. That's a good point. We don't want to feel the pain while doing Tai Chi. No, nor diagnose or say that, okay, this is your answer. Sometimes, and for me, it was a combination of working with the healthcare professional, Chinese medicine, and Tai Chi. So that was a good combination there in my case. And it would be other combinations for other people. So now Tai Chi, I would imagine it's like strength training in a way with your own body. It is. And people are amazed, starting with myself, but others too, 
you can build up amazing leg strength, your quadricep muscles and working on alignment at the same time. So people will also say, oh, you know, I feel like I've grown a couple inches. It's because their alignment is better and then their muscles are, are stronger. It doesn't do a lot for the arm strength, but it certainly does for, it certainly does for legs. So legs and core strength. And core strength. Yes. So a lot of people also ask, and I don't know if you have a short answer for this. They want to know what the difference is between Tai Chi and Qigong. Like they're similar practice, but different. How is it different? And like, how do you know which path is for you? They are part of the same system. They're part of the same overall system. When you talk about the principles of Chinese medicine and movement, the overall Qigong is much older than Tai Chi. It's in the thousands of years old. And it's a system of movement, as much as what you hear about Tai Chi, and working with alignment, working with uh, good movement, working with breath, all for improving health. And Tai Chi, as I mentioned earlier, was formed as a martial art. So some people think about that as the martial art component of overall Qigong. But I do Qigong exercises as part of my Tai Chi classes. It's all the same system. So the principles are all the same. So if somebody is doing, say, Qigong, you would get more, you don't have to do what's called a form with, with Qigong. It can be just breath movements, working on alignment, which Tai Chi does also, but Tai Chi generally has what you see in the park, that there's a, a form, a progressive form that people learn of, of, of certain moves. So I would say they're part of the same system, so all good. And Either would be fine. It depends on the teacher in terms of what somebody would want to take. And often, very often, Qigong is part of a Tai Chi class, not so much the other way around. But you don't have to differentiate. They're both are good. I hope that's helpful. Well, maybe to the person who answered it. I'm trying to arrange it in my head. I was like, okay, so like Tai Chi is under the umbrella of Qigong? It's under the umbrella of movement of Qigong. It is beautiful to watch people doing Tai Chi. Sherry, have you seen people doing it? I have. It looks very slow. I get a little like my skin starts to crawl a little bit. I'm like, move faster. (laughs) I probably really need this. You probably do. So another person wanted to know, is there an optimal number of times per week or length of time to practice that when you take this up, this practice to become fluent, shall we say, in Tai Chi? I don't think there's an optimal, but let me give a suggestion of how to maybe look at this. If you take a class, let's say it's an hour class a week, if you can take a couple classes, I've heard people say that helps reinforce the principles that they're learning. Once you start to learn the moves, it takes a while. It's not familiar. And I tell people, you know, we're on the same boat. These moves we're going to do are not familiar. You do not know them because we don't do them in regular life. So sometimes people get frustrated and say, oh, I want to know this move right now. I can't quite get it. Repetition will get it. Just just try to be patient and this will help increase patience. And it does for a lot of, a lot of people. Once there's some familiarity, I say to people, If you can do it 10 minutes a day, do it 10 minutes a day. You do not have to do a whole class or say for an hour because people get frustrated and say, you know what? Oh, I didn't get it done. I didn't get it done. I tell people to start with 10 minutes a day. Is there a place that they can, like a resource, if they can't go to a class, like they could do it online? How, how would someone do it in their home? They can do it online. In fact, for mine, I have YouTube videos, exactly what we're talking about in terms of 10 and 15 minutes and refer people to that. And then there's a lot of stuff online. So what I say to my students is if you feel free to look at something online, 
let me know what it is. I'll take a look to see, make sure that it's sound. I want to make sure the principles are sound, but I will do that. So if somebody wants to take a look at mine, just as an example of something that is very sound, safe. When I say sound, I mean safe so that you're not going to hurt. Do you have a YouTube channel? Is it under your name? I do. Uh, Yeah. Falk Tai Chi YouTube channel. I do. Falk Tai Chi. We'll put that in show notes so people can find it. That's an excellent question because there is so much on YouTube and people are wondering if people want to do something that's safe and wants to do something that's help. And it's, it's really hard to know because, you know, we can set up our YouTube channel and go do it. Yeah. You don't want to pick up bad habits while you're learning. Yeah, it's harder to unlearn bad habits than it is to just not pick them up in the first place. It's part of the human condition, isn't it? <laughs> bad habits. So if we can, can we back up a little bit? When you were talking earlier about the years that you went through undiagnosed and you were having these sort of transient episodes and stuff, I recently listened to um, a fascinating podcast about a girl who struggled with celiac disease. For many, many years, like 20 years, starting in her early childhood and up until she was like 30 years old, and she would miss so much school and her parents would take her to the doctor and the doctor said, there's nothing wrong with her. Don't let her come home from school. Make her stay at school. And she would get sick every day. She would vomit. And eventually every doctor she went to told her it was in her head. She needed a psychiatrist. Did you ever experience anything like that? Or were your symptoms physical enough that the doctors like knew that you were truly, there was something neurological going on and they just couldn't pinpoint it? Generally, the doctors that I I saw from the onset thought it was neurological, but they couldn't pinpoint what it was. That's why it took 21 years to diagnose. But often I felt like an object on a table. I mean, it was, I didn't get the same kind of reaction as you're giving in, in the example of the celiac, but it was if you feel fatigued, that's going to happen. You know, you're just going to have to rest. Don't exercise too much. At the time when I was going through this, the feeling was don't exercise too much. I did anyway. I rode a stationary bicycle. I had somebody help me do the pedaling of the, the bicycles. I thought to myself, I want to exercise. So it gets very confusing when, you know, nobody really said it, it's in your head. There was some, obviously something physical, uh, physical with me, but when it's, difficult to diagnose. And I think it's frustrating to medical professionals because they really want to do a good job. They really want to find out what it is. And when they can't, it is like, okay, well, there's nothing there. There's nothing physical that we can find out. So it must be, it must be mental. That's why I say, keep going and take one more step, even in this, this situation, because we know in our own bodies and our own minds, if something's wrong. Just like that example, that girl and and then that woman knew something was wrong. Yeah, I just felt so bad for her. I thought this poor woman for 20 years was sick and people were telling her she was a hypochondriac to the point where she started thinking maybe she was a hypochondriac. So, and it just finally took like a friend pushing her to see one more doctor. She's like, there's this doctor and you have to see this doctor. And she didn't want to go, didn't want to go and finally agreed to go. And that's when she got this diagnosis. And then she just cried. And then it makes you mad because she knew there was something wrong all those years and to be told it's in your head. And even her poor parents didn't listen to her. So they're like, the doctor said, doctor said you're crazy. So well, that's right. The doctor said you're faking it. So you must be faking it. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that didn't happen to you. I just, I read your book a couple of weeks ago and then I heard that podcast and it kind of took me back to your experience. And I wondered if you had anything similar to that, but thank God for MRIs because 
that's pretty much the gold standard now for diagnosing MS. It is pretty much the, the gold standard. There's, there's still a lot of unknowns. There's doing research, but there still is not, uh, not a cure or known treatments that are going to progress towards health in every case. So that's, that's very frustrating, but it is good that the, the MRI is here. You know, it's interesting though, one of the signs for diagnosis is plaque on the brain. And certainly you can tell that in an MRI, but I have friends, I know a lot of people with MS who have MS and severely who have no plaque on their brain. So it's not a 100%. How do they get diagnosed? How, how do they, just based on symptoms? Based on symptoms. And I think that I do think as was mentioned, the MRI is, is the gold standard and they have more tests now. They, they have other tests that can, that there are some conditions that mimics the symptoms of MS that aren't MS. And they've made a lot of progress, certainly since I was going through a lot of tests that can eliminate. It's a big process of elimination. Do they do nerve biopsies? You know, I'm not sure. I didn't have that. I don't know. People who have nerve, uh, don't know about that. And there are varying levels of severity. There are different, different types. So there will be people walking around who you don't know have MS and, you know, they do. And then people who unfortunately have a, get diagnosed or when their symptoms start, it's just a series of a loss of function. Now you mentioned that when you first were, were going through this, you just laid on the couch for two years and you couldn't really, you couldn't really do anything. Contrast that to now, do you still have bad days or is it just, you're, it's no more, the symptoms? I basically don't have symptoms. I have no active inflammation. And as I mentioned earlier, I was able to get off all medications. That was really a wonderful thing for me and improvement of life because when I was going through it, there weren't injectionable drugs. It was oral prednisone. And by the time I was 30, I thought I'd never want to have a prednisone, any more prednisone. Of course, I had to have quite a bit more after that. But the side effects, like with other powerful drugs, can be very debilitating in, of themselves. So it was after, it took a while, but through the work with Chinese medicine and the Tai Chi, I do think, back to the Tai Chi, I think my, my practice with Tai Chi, I think it's why I don't have arthritis I think that I can keep, I don't want to say symptom-free. I've had some aching in my legs, I have some, but not this inflammation and, and not uh, problems with walking. How long has it been since you had a flare? It's been 20 years. Wow. That is amazing. Can I ask, do you mind, how old are you? I'm 73. You are 73, living with MS. You've been more or less symptom-free for 20 years. How long after you started practicing Tai Chi and working with the Chinese medicine, how long was it before you started really seeing relief of your symptoms? It was a process, of course, about two years to, to answer your questions. My experience with MS, and I've talked to others who've had similar experience and not that ours are all the same. We have conditions where we might feel a little bit better the next day or a little bit better. There's, there's a progress where you feel a little bit better and it can be mild, but that feeling of, oh, it's a little bit better. That wasn't my experience. My experience was feeling less of something, less pain. Oh, you know what? My legs aren't aching as much. It's not that it's a lot better. So it's, I don't know what that is, but that was my feeling. of, And so that's what would happen. I would have less pain. I thought, oh my heavens, I, I have some feeling on the bottom of my feet. So you had a baseline and then you had good days. And now you have more good days than bad days. Yes, uh, my days are good. I don't really have bad days. 
But as you can see in my book, I went through the time where I thought, I'm good, I've made a lot of progress. And then I went to an art museum and within the course of two hours, I barely got the door. I wanted to lie down on the sidewalk. I mean, it came on suddenly. So it's not, as I said, a progress. It keeps going. It keeps going. And then it went back. But through this continued work with my uh, Nancy is her name, the healer and my Tai Chi. And I'm very disciplined with my Tai Chi because if even with, if I feel anxiety or getting ready to talk with you, I do my Tai Chi. That's my thing that really keeps me healthy. Mentally prepared. If I get under a lot of stress, my legs might ache. I don't have any functional uh, disability, but I do get some aching. I get, and I am able to calm it down. It does feel, when I say on pins and needles, that was literal. There are a lot of different meanings in the title of my book. Being anxious, all of us have felt on pins and needles, but I literally did. I don't anymore, but that was a lot of my story in terms of being on pins and needles. The uncertainty, there's a lot of uncertainty about what the next day will be. So I did not know was po- this was possible. It's really exciting. It gives me goosebumps. So how can our listeners connect with you? I'd love to connect with your, your listeners. They I actually have uh, two websites. My Falk Tai Chi website talks about what Tai Chi is, classes that I have. I do a, a blog on, on that site. For my book information, and I'm doing a podcast, I'm happy to be talking with you today, is my name, ArleneFalk.com. And I have a YouTube channel, which is Falk Tai Chi, so they can connect. And I'd like to hear from listeners and if I can help somebody individually. I even sometimes help people with classes, but I'm, I'm happy to help people say, if is this a good foundational Tai Chi program to do? Sure. I love that. Well, we will put links, all of those links on our show notes so that our listeners can quickly connect with you. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to invite you to the Life Lessons VIP community on Circle. Not only can you interact with us in a private online community, you can connect with other listeners and community members. Sherry is hosting monthly Zoom hangouts where we can connect and talk. I had so much fun at the, the last one that we did. It was fun. You can join us in this new VIP community by going to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. Choose your monthly membership contribution of $4.99 or $9.99. And you can change to a different tier at the end of any month simply by managing your subscription within the platform. Choose the option that feels like the right value to you. For those of you who truly get value from the podcast each week, we would hope that you would be willing to choose a higher package because it helps support the work we do on the podcast and the costs associated with it. Next, we have a segment that we call our listener-led lesson. Um, Today's listener-led lesson comes from Ingrid in Vermont. She says, I recommend the book Stolen Focus by journalist Johan Hari. It was thought-provoking and well-researched. This book provides a compelling perspective and information about how and why our attention spans are waning, as well as providing motivation to make effective changes as individuals, but also on a larger collective level. I recommend it as an audible book, too, because the author's personality and fabulous accent comes through his voice. I heard him on the 10% Happier podcast with Dan Harris. It was an excellent interview where he makes many of the points of his book, in less than 75 minutes. So at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. And today's quote is from Leo. He wrote, this quote really keeps me thinking positively when life is hard. The quote is, happiness is not the absence of problems. It is the ability to deal with them. And um, I love that. I think it goes really great with today's topic when faced with a problem. 
take a step forward. I love it. It's how you deal with it. Or my house sale scenario where everything is not worked out perfectly on any given day where it feels like it, but at the end, it's going to work out perfectly. Kept moving forward. And what are you going to do? You're just going to move forward. So listeners, thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to join us in the new Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to be a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Your support ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And we would love for you to leave a review. That helps us reach others. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment? a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you want to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.